want to thank that family for reading a portion of scripture that uh, if you were able to follow along, you get an A plus in the sense that that was really totally understandable, wasn't it? <laughs> and I'm only saying that, in that with a little twinkle in my eye here because uh, this passage nestled almost at the end of the letter that we call the first letter of John is really could I even say a little confusing, not as clear, at least at the, at the beginning part of it. So maybe before we even jump into the passage, I might just say, what do you do when you come, maybe in your Bible reading, if you're reading through the Scriptures with us, or just when you think about the Bible, what do you do when something's difficult in Scripture? Well, I know some people probably think, eh, this is why I don't read the Bible a lot, or this is why I only like the little nuggets that I can pull out and sometimes out of the context of Scripture, right? I, I just want to say, first of all, we should be grateful that the Bible is difficult to understand at parts. <laughs> you might think, hold it, grateful? Well, think about it. If it was all really easy to understand, there would be no challenge to grow and dig for more, would there? You know, the infinite God who is behind the words of Scripture is revealing Himself in Scripture. We shouldn't think that we could just read it once or twice and capture it all. Gold is always found underground. But second, remember that the Bible uh, the Word of God is, in the words of uh, Gregory the Great, who was a bishop of Rome in the 5th century. I feel okay saying that now that we've quoted an even older historic Christian creed. He wrote this 1,500 years ago about the Bible, that Scripture is like a river, broad and deep, shallow, shallow enough for the lamb to go wading but deep enough for there, there for the elephant to swim. And when I think about that analogy, I, I think of going to the shore and playing with my grandkids in the tide pool and getting excited about the fun things you can do in a tide pool. And then also going out further into the surf and exploring the, the, the majesty and the power of the ocean. Well, today, if you will, we're going to be at the beach, and I'm going to take us to the tide pool of this passage first, which is really at the end of it in verses 11 and 12. And then we'll go back into the deeper waters that start it in 1 John chapter 5, beginning in verse 6. So, in verses 11 and 12, we read again, this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. Sounds well, pretty simple, isn't it? If you have Jesus, you have eternal life life. But maybe, maybe I should stop for a minute and say, 
That may sound easy to say, but what is eternal life? Because uh, I think a lot of us think, oh, well, if my life is temporary, uh, having eternal life means not dying, or at least when you die, you live again, or something like that, right? A, a continued duration of life. And yes, that's what it means, but everyone will live forever. We just confessed. We believe in the resurrection of everyone, but that's not eternal life. According to Scripture, eternal life, John 17, Jesus says, is knowing God and His Son, Jesus Christ. It's being in a relationship with God. According to 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 4, it's partaking, participating in the divine nature. You see, it's, it, it's more than, could I say, being qualitative, like living or quantitative, living forever. It's what kind of life are you having forever? It's connecting to God, participating in the divine nature, whatever that may mean. Well, I, I think I know what it may mean. Uh, go with me back to the Garden of Eden before sin came, where Adam and Eve were created as perfect human beings. They were created with bodies and put in a garden, and they were made in the image of God, and they were told to rule everything, name the creatures, take care of the garden, and rule over it. Make it productive, kind of like what it is outside now. Can you imagine an eternal spring? No weeds, no need for a roundup and pulling out the old dead stuff. And can you imagine life without the pull of the weeds in your heart? No sin inside them that would cause them to argue about taking care of the garden or be jealous, or be lazy, or any of the sins that we battle with. What you have then in Genesis 1 and 2 is the template of a perfectly flourishing humanity, even though it's just two people. That's what eternal life will be like. Can you imagine living your life this morning since you got up? without the pull of sin, so when you looked in the mirror, you looked even better than you did yesterday, last night. You felt even more invigorated to start a new day. Your first thought was not, I don't know, where's the coffee or stay out of my way until I fully wake up or whatever your morning looks like, but it was, good morning, Lord. What a great day to find adventure in your world. That's eternal life. That's what's coming for us. No, that's what's here for us now because eternal life doesn't start after death. It starts now. If you have the Son, you have life, not will have only. So I thought about something this week 
where the eternal life of God's future is starting to break into to my own experience. And I'm, I'm telling you now about two of my friends at Chelton who this week had a really serious personal argument. And it was so serious that they invited me to kind of be the coach. So we came to my office and I let them explain what happened, each one. And, you know, we prayed to start with and, and it, it was a little testy there. And then one of them said, hold it, what's our end game here? <laughs> and the other one said, reconciliation and forgiveness. And that turned the whole tone of our little meeting where now it wasn't just sin being exposed and sinfulness being owned. It was, I forgive you and I forgive you. And we're going to move forward because Jesus gives us a new start. That's what eternal life is. It's not just living forever with God, it's partaking of the divine nature, which means now I have a forgiving heart. Even though I'm still trapped in this sinful body, yes, but I'm working together for an end game that looks so different. I said to these guys, because one of them said, can we get on our knees and pray before we go? I said, sure. And I said, who would imagine that in, a, in an afternoon, two guys who have other jobs would be on their knees, weeping, confessing their sin and their love for Christ and His forgiveness and their love for each other? Who would imagine that that would happen? Only when eternal life is embedded in the soul of God's people. You see, God's grace provides the opportunity for sinful humanity to enter God's life through the gift of His Son. The only way to experience of eter eternal life, according to verse 12, is to have the Son. I like the way he says that. He, he says elsewhere, believe in Jesus. Another way to say it is to possess Jesus, to have him. And this demands, doesn't it, that Jesus Christ be the all-important one in our lives, that he be the single greatest person that demands and captures our attention and our love and our loyalty and our devotion. And once we have him and he has us, then eternal life style starts to break out in the way we live. Everything begins to change. So let me ask then, if Jesus is the only way to gain eternal life, right? It's, it's not through other religions or all religions. It's not through other spiritual teachings. It's, it's not through even our own good intentions. No, it's outside of us and centered only in Jesus, well, I've got to ask, 
And I ask you this morning, like we do every Sunday, what is your relationship to Jesus? What word would you use? Do you think of Jesus as someone outside of you? Fill in the verb. I blank Jesus. And how you answer that question and really mean it, not just say it, you know, but really live it, it, it is going to show what side of verse 12 you're on. Well, what do you mean, what side? Well, he said, whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. John is very clear here. It's one or the other. How is it with you today? Now, maybe some of you might ask, yeah, but you're, you're pushing in here a bit. How can I really be sure that Jesus is the way to eternal life? Well, it's a good question, and that's the question that John answers in what I could call the deeper waters of this passage. So we're going to go back up to verses 6 through 8 and take a dip in the waves here and see if we can understand what John is saying. So verse 6 says, This is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. He did not come by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit who testifies, because the Spirit is truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit, the water, and the blood. And these three are in agreement. So, what does that mean? And if you, if you would keep reading the next verse or two, you would see that this idea of a testimony or uh, a witness, that language is used here nine times, either the verb or the noun. So before we unpack it, let me just think for a minute. Testimony, that comes out of a, a court system setting, right? And we all know that recently, all eyes were on the trial of Derek Chauvin, who was recently convicted of murdering George Floyd. Now, that actual event happened in a brief span of time. And there were many witnesses who saw it firsthand, eyewitnesses. But it was a year later when jurors sat at a trial and learned what happened because of the first-hand testimony. Witnesses and videos provided evidence of that actual event, and then the jury made their decision because they believed the testimony of the witnesses. Now, since we were not living when Jesus was on earth, and I just said Jesus is everything, that's what John says. He's the one that brings us eternal life. Well, then, how do we really know anything about Jesus? You ever think about that? 
Every day is another day past 2,000 years that we're talking about something very, very old, right? And so that's why John, in verses 6 through 8, says there are three witnesses, three testimonies about Jesus. And it sounds a little strange to us because we would think, oh, well, I guess we're talking about, uh, what, Peter, James, and John, or, you know, three different videotapes, if it was in the modern context. No, he said, first of all, water. Water? Doesn't that sound a little strange? Water testifies to Jesus. So, you know, Bible commentators have struggled with this. What did John mean when he wrote that 2,000 years ago? Water. And most everybody agrees that we're talking about the one event in Jesus' life, just like in our Christian lives, that marks the beginning of something. Can you guess what it is? Baptism. Jesus was baptized. And if you go to the gospel accounts, all four of them say that when Jesus went into the Jordan River and was baptized by John, the Father spoke and said, this is my Son whom I love. The Father affirmed the Son. And the Spirit, like a dove, you could actually see it, came and rested on Jesus. There it is, the triune God, Father, Spirit, and Son. And the baptism when Jesus was about 30 years old marked the beginning of his formal ministry of teaching about the kingdom of God, healing, doing miracles. And then it culminated about three years later in the second witness that John gives, blood. That's an easy one, right? That describes the death, the physical death of Jesus on the cross. We confessed it earlier. Under Pontius Pilate, he really died. He was really buried. And of course, he really rose again. But the cross ended Jesus' physical ministry that he was sent to do. That's why he cried out on the cross, it is finished. And the third witness is the Spirit. The Spirit, well, you just said the Spirit came on Jesus at his baptism. Yeah, but that's not what John means here. John is talking about the Spirit of God that takes the message of Jesus and empowers people when they speak it, mysteriously working in people's hearts, knocking on the door of their hearts, so to speak, so saying, uh, listen, stop, think. And that spirit that goes out into all the world all the time actually becomes a partner of the people who turn and believe. Paul says it like this, his spirit witnesses with our spirit that we are the children of God. 
So there you go. John says there are three witnesses to Jesus. And now the case demands a response. And that's found in verses 9 and 10. I read it. We accept human testimony, but God's testimony is greater because it is the testimony of God, which He has given about His Son. Whoever believes in the Son of God accepts this testimony. Whoever does not believe God has made him out to be a liar because they have not believed the testimony God has given about His Son. So, what's your verdict? You are a jury of one. What do you think about these witnesses? And John says so plainly, look, if we accept human testimony in court, Why would we, and those are fallible witnesses, right? They could all be lying. Why would we not accept the testimony of God, the perfect God? We'd be foolish not to. And he says it once again. If you believe God's testimony, you accept it as your own. And if you don't believe God's testimony, you might expect the old man John to say, Oh, that's okay. No, he says, you've just called God a liar. That's a little refreshing, isn't it? Oh, really, shake us out of our complacency here. There's no neutral ground. There's no third way, right? God says either you believe in Jesus, and I've given you these three witnesses, or you don't believe in Jesus, and I'm lying. I wasted my time. Go ahead, insult me. That's what you've just done. Now, I admit that what I just said and what John says goes against our culture of equality and diversity and tolerance, right? And, well, so be it. Truth demands and means that God is true and everything else is error. We live our lives that way in other ways, but somehow when we come to the idea of, quote, religion or spirituality, everything is off because everything is fair play. Mm, That's not what the God of Scripture says. So my call to you again is, What do you think of Jesus? And if you do have life because you have Jesus, it means we get to share that. We get to be one of those testimonies as well. You know, that's what John was. John, the man who wrote this, wrote at the beginning of his letter in the second verse. He said this, the life appeared We have seen it and testify to it. You see, John was an apostle. He was called by Jesus. He saw Jesus live. He saw Jesus die. He saw Jesus resurrect. And now he's an old man, and he's still testifying to Jesus. And he says, We proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and appeared to us. 
And since then, people have been passing it on from John to those who heard John, from those who heard John to those who heard them and them, and it goes on and on like ripples in a wave that a stone goes into a lake and you just see it go on almost eternally. This week, our church staff met face-to-face -face one of our missionaries who's back from Turkey. His name is Nathan Buck. We've supported him for a few years, and he's home. And he, he, he talked just for a little bit at our staff meeting today, and I was so gripped with his passion that I, I talked to him yesterday, and I said, is it okay if I share your heart with our people? And he said, yeah, please do. Um, I'd like to get to know the people of Chelton. He worships here with us now. I don't know if you're in this service, Nathan. Just put your hand up real quick. He said he might be at the second service. Okay. Um, uh, he is uh, a single young man, and he's been living in Turkey for the last number of years. And he's been working with, get this, the Pashtun people who have fled Afghanistan and the Taliban, and they're in the country of Turkey, and Nathan goes around talking to them about Jesus. And when he told us this, it's, it's almost otherworldly, right? Because he's speaking Turkish, he's talking to people who are not Turks, but they understand Turkish. And he told us in tears that he loves sharing the hope of Jesus with these people. So I asked him, what more do you tell them? And he said, well, I tell him two things that brings hope. He said, the first thing is that, that they will have eternal life if they believe in Jesus as God's Son. The religions that they hold to, it's a little tenuous. Will I make it? And if I do, uh, what does it look like? And Nathan is offering them solid hope in Jesus and eternal life after death. But then he said, even more, I offer them hope in this life. And he said, I do it by telling them that they can have God as their friend now, not just in heaven after death. And he said he shares how, unlike the unjust rulers of earth, God is a good king who loves his people and even died for them. His heavenly kingdom is just and fair with no blackmail and no corruption. And once you start knowing Jesus now, he said, that brings peace to your soul. You can do that. <laughs> you don't have to go to Turkey. And uh, this week I was uh, at a, the grocery store nearby and I'm walking in and this man walks next to me and he looks at me and he says, hey, excuse me, I saw your license plate on the front of your car. Are you a Buddhist? Now, <laughs> you may not know, I, ha I said, no, it's the state flag of Arizona. 
It's my favorite state next to Pennsylvania. I got it years ago. We took our family on a vacation out there. And it helps me identify my car in a parking lot because I'm colorblind. <laughs> so he says, oh, I thought it was, was the Tibet flag for Buddhism. He said, I backpacked across Tibet once. And, you know, we're walking in now. We're, we're inside the grocery store. <laughs> so I thought, all right. So I said, well, no, in fact, I'm a Christian, not a Buddhist. Maybe I should put a cross on the, the, the flag of Arizona. And he's, and I, because I thought, well, if he wants to continue the conversation, you know, I got to go this way. And he said, well, have a great day. <laughs> you never know. Testimony. That's what it means. Isn't it? reassuring family of God that one of the three testimonies that John gives us is what we're going to do in just a moment. To remember the death through the blood of Christ. So, what is this all about? For many of us, we, we know, don't we? But for some of us, we need to remember that what we're about to do is not saving us. It's a picture of what saves us. When we have the bread and the juice in us, we have it, we eat it, we drink it. That's what this symbolizes, which is another way of saying if you have not really ingested Jesus into your heart, then don't do the symbol. You're a liar. <laughs> so, just wait. Unless, right now, you are believing in Jesus and want to partake, well, then please do it and affirm what's true on the inside. But it's best not to do it if you're lying about it. And then remember what Paul said in 1 Corinthians when he talked about the Lord's table. He said, as often as we eat and drink, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. We are giving testimony to this. This is why we do it together. We confess our faith. We sing together. We pray together. We listen to Scripture together and we feast together. This is our breakfast, our lunch, our dinner. This is our IV that keeps us going spiritually because Jesus is in us, and we want more of Him. So, are you ready? Take your cup and peel back the very top clear piece of plastic, and I'll remind you that on the night in which Jesus was betrayed, he took that matzah bread, and he broke it, and he said, this is my body, which is for you. As often as you eat it, you should do it to remember me. Well, let's do that now.
And now let's carefully peel back that second foil layer. And I'll remind you that he took one of the cups that were part of that Passover meal and he transformed it. And he said, this cup now, the color of it represents, it looks just like blood. And that is my blood which is poured out for the forgiveness of your sins in the new covenant. And when we drink this, we remember his death for us. Let's do that together. Our Father, Holy Spirit, and Son of God, we love you so much. We thank you that the eternal life that you have given to us through Jesus is the greatest gift that you would ever give to anyone, better than any birthday present, any inheritance, any bonus, far better, because you are in us, and we are in you. And living our lives, that's why you created us, to be your image bearers. And now to have that image restored by the death of Christ and the Spirit of God, Lord, thank you for the adventure that will never, ever end. So please, may we feast now and look forward to that great feast that will never end, all because of the blood of our Savior, who was baptized and who will return again to claim his own. In his name we pray. Amen.